All right, how about that? Better, hopefully. Yeah, we'll go with it. All right, better? Okay, there we go, loud. Well, this morning we continue in our summer series in the book of Psalms, chapter 29, as we just heard, read by Roland. And Psalm 29 is unique from many of the other 150 Psalms. How so? How is it unique? Well, the majority of it contains what is known as a theophany. What is a theophany? A theophany is a visible expression or manifestation of God throughout the Bible that is tangible to the human senses. Think of the burning bush, Moses and the burning bush. It's also unique in that of the 150 Psalms, it contains pure praise. And I think, wait a second, don't most, most of the Psalms contain praise? Well, many of them do, but most of them contain something else like a cry for help, a lament. Often the word of God himself is speaking. The Lord is quoted speaking. And often the Psalms contain commands, requirements of God's people. But in Psalm 29, it is pure poetical praise for the Lord of the storm and his power. So before we jump into this beautiful and wonderful psalm, let's pray one more time and ask that the Lord would meet us in power this morning. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come under the hearing of God's word. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us this morning in power. We pray that the God of glory would be manifest among us. We pray, Lord, that you would visit us with great power and glory. And Lord, we ask that there would be no distractions as I speak from your word this morning. So we thank you, we trust you in the name of Jesus, amen. I can hear the scratch, guys. I, of course, the guy that preaches once a year gets the mic that totally doesn't work. <laughs> uh, better? No. Sorry. That's, that's it is what it is. Can, can you hear it? Yes, God answered. All right. All right, let's start. Psalm 29. All right, what is the most awe-inspiring display of power that you have ever witnessed in your life? Well, one of my younger boys would probably answer with something like Hulk smash from the Avengers. Well, when I was a boy, the most amazing display of power that I had ever witnessed happened at the Pontiac Silverdome by where I grew up in Detroit. I got to see WrestleMania III. And there, there was another Hulk, Hulk Hogan. I asked my youngest boy yesterday, do you, do you even know who Hulk Hogan is? He had no clue. But there at WrestleMania III, Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant. Seven foot four, uh, 520 pounds. He slammed him, pinned him on the ground, and retained the WWF, not E, World Championship belt. Truly an amazing display of power. Well, I imagine some of the adults in the room might answer with something from nature. Like Old Faithful, the powerful uh, geothermal power that it displays in Yellowstone, or maybe the pounding of the water on the rocks of Niagara Falls. 
How about a hurricane? A hurricane is the storm of storms. We find ourselves now in hurricane season. I see there's one brewing off the Pacific coast by California. Well, on September 8th, 1900, the people of Galveston, Texas, experienced one of the most powerful storms the United States have, has ever experienced. It brought with it sustained winds of 145 mile per hour winds. The city and coastline were inundated with storm surge, bringing up to 12 feet of water. The storm destroyed over 7,000 buildings, destroying uh, roughly half or half of them were homes leaving approximately a third of the city homeless. It was a powerful storm. The death toll was anywhere from eight to 12,000, making it the number one most deadliest storm this country has ever experienced by threefold. It was powerful. Well, the power of this storm wasn't relegated to just Texas. It started in the Caribbean, and it made its way through much of the states and ended off the coast of Newfoundland where it claimed the life of 230 sailors that sunk when their vessels went under from the storm. Today the damage is estimated at about 1.2 billion in today's dollars, but what, what is really staggering is if the infrastructure that today Houston and Galveston has was in place 123 years ago, the damage would be over 100 billion. There is no question that storms are some of the most powerful things in our world. So it's no wonder that David uses the imagery of a potent thunderstorm to display God's glory in Psalm 29. We're fragile beings. We're like water balloons, ready to be popped. So it should be no wonder that displays of power like this cause us to marvel so how should we dis respond to God's display of omnipotence? We should respond with humility. We should respond in wonder. And ultimately, we should worship the Lord because he's the God of glory and the king over all creation. That is the main application of the text of Psalm 29 and the main idea of my sermon this morning. Worship the Lord. Why should we worship the Lord? Three reasons from the text. We should worship the Lord because he's worthy. We should worship the Lord because he's powerful. And third, we should worship him because he is sovereign. He's worthy, he's powerful, and he's sovereign. Look with me. Well, excuse me. Why should we worship him? Because he's worthy. Well, how is he worthy? He's worthy because glory and strength are due his name. Look with me at the first two verses. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The Lord is due glory and strength. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is the king of kings. This theme will be continually built throughout the psalm. But what really accentuates the giving of glory and strength to the Lord is the audience that David has in mind. Note how I said earlier that there are no commands found in this psalm. There, are, there is a command in the sister verses that John read this morning, called to worship. But here, who is the audience? The audience is angels. 
Verse 1 says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. It's heavenly beings. And most commentators agree, David is speaking to the angels. The word in Hebrew means mighty ones or sons of God and is used throughout the Bible to describe angels. And angels are powerful beings. They are mighty and stunning in and of themselves. And we see often through the Bible that angels carry out God's judgment. They inflict judgment on cities and wicked men. We also know at various times that when people see angels face to face, they fall down to worship because of how beauty, beautiful and stunning angels are. Yet, angels were created to give glory to God and to worship him because he is the ultimate one worthy of worship. In verse 2, David continues to qualify this type of giving of glory. He says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And that phrase, the glory due his name, in the original language, it's just one word. And it means a famous name. It carries with it the idea of a name that holds a position of honor. And here, in Psalm 29, David uses a literary device called repetition. 18 times in 11 verses, he uses the name, the Lord. Last week, Dave mentioned in Psalm 28, the Lord here references Yahweh. You'll notice in your Bible, it's in all caps. L-O-R-D, it signifies the name of God, Yahweh, often transliterated as Jehovah in some Bible translations. It's this name that is due glory. Yahweh, it means I am that I am. It's the name that the Jews dare not utter out of reverence. It's the name that is above all other names. So the Lord is worthy of worship because he is unsurpassed in glory and strength. Well, why else should we worship the Lord? Because he is holy. Look with me, the second half of verse two. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. In addition to the angels giving God glory and strength, they are called to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, people worship a lot of things, and beauty is often at the top of the list. Consider the global fashion market. Its net worth is 1.7 trillion. That's right, T for trillion. 1.7 trillion people worship beauty. And they worship beauty in others like movie stars and entertainers because their beauty is set apart from the norm, you and I, at least me. I don't know about you. But biblically, what is the most beautiful thing? Holiness, moral purity, godliness is beautiful. The angels who were created with stunning beauty and might, they were created to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And that phrase, splendor of holiness, in the original language, it means holy adornment or holy attire. 
It carries with it the idea like the uh, priestly garments that were made for Aaron, the great high priest, who was clothed in beauty as he stood before the Lord in the Holy of Holies. Now, as God's people, we should desire to be like him. We should desire to be holy, not so that we can be worshiped, but instead that God might be worshiped through us as we grow in holiness. It's the aim and the goal of the Christian life to be sanctified, to be more like God as we grow in holiness. Now, though God is invisible, David describes him as being displayed in beautiful, holy garments, the holy, uh, in holiness. Now, here's something interesting. God has given us a perfect example of a man displayed in perfect beauty and holiness. And that man is Jesus. And the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 described the Messiah. That would be Jesus. But he described him in a very unique way. He says that the Messiah would be one who outwardly did not have an impressive appearance. There was no form of majesty externally to be desired in the Messiah. But Jesus being the perfect man, Jesus being a pure holy, we can worship him because there is no one more beautiful than the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the author of Hebrews 1.3. He tells us that Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There is no one more worthy of worship than the Lord Jesus Christ because he is holy. Now a quick word to the unmarried among us that are desiring to find a spouse. And I apologize, I can hear it still scratching. You want me to? Better? Uh, I think I'm just gonna go to the other. Unless that's good. All right, swapping out. Let's do it. Sorry, everybody. Is what it is. Okay, better? All right. A word to the unmarried among us that are desiring a spouse. Beauty matters. I get it. You want to be attracted to the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, and beauty is always in the eye of the beholder. But listen, true beauty, true beauty is a godly heart. True beauty is holiness. So look for one, a person, that desires to grow in godliness. Look for someone who loves the Lord with all of their heart. And I promise your marriage will be far more blessed. You'll have far more joy than if you marry for outward beauty alone. The Lord is worthy of our worship because he's holy and he deserves all the glory and strength. Now, David is going to describe or paint a picture of the Lord's glory and strength by using a metaphor of a storm. This brings us to our second point. Worship the Lord because he is powerful. Well, what is his power like? It's like a great storm. Look with me at verses three and four. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. 
the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Here David is equating the voice of the Lord as a powerful storm. It's the theophany that I mentioned in the opening. He's over the waters. He's the God of glory that thunders, and his voice is powerful and full of majesty. David writes these seven verses like a weatherman, tracking a thunderstorm rolling in off the Mediterranean Sea from the north and moving its way down to the southeast desert of Israel. Now, it's always important to understand the context in which any passage of Scripture is written in. So here, at this time, David, when he wrote it, it was the land of Israel. But we need to remember it was once the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites, they worshipped the false god known as Baal. Baal was the god of the storm. Baal is often described in Canaanite poetry as one riding on the clouds with a thunderbolt in his hand. Listen to this very interesting uh, section on a commentary that Dr. Peter Craigie writes concerning these seven verses. Please follow along. The general storm image of battle has been subtly transformed into a taunt-like psalm. Psalm 29 is a taunt-like psalm. How about that? The praise of the Lord by virtue of being expressed in the language and imagery associated with the Canaanite weather god, Baal, he taunts the weak deity of the defeated foes, namely the Canaanites. Thus the poet, being David, has deliberately utilized Canaanite-type language and the imagery in order to emphasize the Lord's strength and victory in contrast to the weakness of Baal. Interesting. That's why David is using this storm-like image. So for a moment, let's put the idea, or let's further explore the idea of how powerful a storm is. When you think of raw, sheer power, a nuclear bomb might come to mind. Well, the most powerful bomb in the U.S. nuclear arsenal is the B-83. It has a maximum yield of 1.2 megatons. 1.2 megatons. That's 1.2 million tons of TNT. Noah, not from the Bible, but the weather organization, calculates that a hurricane is comparable to 10 megaton nukes being dropped every 20 minutes. That's amazing. Nuclear bomb, 1.2 megatons, hurricane, 10, boom, boom, every 20 minutes. It's the power of a storm. Verse 5, David continues with this imagery of a storm as he says the following. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon were renowned for their strength in building and construction. A lot of the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built used these cedars. But what's really interesting here in the text, and again, considering the first audience or the context of the original audience, 
is the cedars of Lebanon were also known as the cedar of the gods. They were said to have been protected by the Mesopotamian gods. But here we see it's the voice of the Lord that snaps the cedars of Lebanon like Arnold Schwarzenegger snaps a number two pencil. Verse six, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. What does that mean? I have never seen a calf skip, by the way, so I don't know, but here is what I believe it means. Syrian, it was the name for Mount Hermon, which was the tallest mountain range north of Israel on the border of Lebanon. And Syrian, in the original language, it means breastplate or body of armor. Syrian, by its definition, denotes strength. But here we see it's the, the voice of the Lord in its power that shakes Mount Hermon to skip like a calf or a wild ox along its way. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord, it flashes forth like flames of fire. David is using the imagery of a lightning bolt to symbolize the voice of the Lord in its power. Now, this summer we had the opportunity to visit Colorado Springs, and I happened to see some friends here from Colorado Springs that I did not know, so that's great. We got to go to Colorado Springs for a lacrosse tournament, and we went to the Air Force Academy. Now, in Colorado Springs, there are a lot of lightning and thunderstorms. I did not know this. Our plane was delayed twice, by the way. Well, when we were there, at least, thunderstorms would begin to roll in off the mountain. And often, lightning would light up the sky. Beautiful display with the lightning. But what would happen is you'd hear the PA system start to go off. Lightning approaching eight nautical miles from the east. And it would go on and on, and eventually at five nautical miles, everything would shut down. Why? Because no one wants to get cooked by lightning. <laughs> now, the Air Force, this is just the fields, right? The Air Force is a powerful entity. It has the word force as part of its name. Well, I just read that the fighter jet known as the F-35, which happens to be called Lightning II, cannot fly within 25 miles of a lightning storm. It's because lightning is dangerous, it's powerful, and the voice of the Lord is like flames of fire that scorch anything and everything in its way. Verse eight, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and it strips the forest bare. Have you ever been in your house in a thunderstorm when the windows rattle as the thunder booms and your dog cowers in the corner? <laughs> Happened numerous times to us. Here, the sheer terror and dread of the Lord's voice is said to make the deer give birth in the field. His voice shakes the wilderness, and it strips the forests bare. Who lived through the Spokane windstorm of 2015? 
probably a good portion of us here. If you remember, the windstorm knocked down 800 plus trees. They crashed on houses, destroyed cars. People were without power for days. We were without power for over a week at that time. But listen, that historic windstorm of Spokane that knocked down 800 trees, it pales in comparison to the voice of the Lord that strips forests bare. Seven times in these seven verses, David uses the voice of the Lord as imagery of a powerful storm. And at the very end of these seven brilliant verses of poetry, the Lord's voice is seen and heard prompting another voice. What's that voice? It's the voice of all worshiping the Lord. Look with me at verse 9b. And all and in his temple, all cry glory. All cry glory. When the voice of the Lord is heard and felt in your life, the proper response is to cry glory. And his temple, here, it's not meant to mean the temple in Jerusalem. It had not yet been built by those beautiful cedars from Lebanon by David's son Solomon. God's temple is his dwelling place. God dwells in the heavens and the earth, and all in his temple will cry glory. That means everything. The angels to the false Canaanite gods to all humans will cry glory to the Lord of the storm. Worship, it literally means to bow the knee. That's what it means, to bow the knee. And today, for Christians in the New Covenant, there is a name that is due glory that we should worship. It's the name Jesus. It's the name Jesus Christ. It's the name that the world hates. It's the name that has been turned into a curse word in our everyday language. And you might be thinking, it sure doesn't seem like it, Josh, that people are bowing the knee and worshiping the name of Jesus. But one day, I promise one day, there will be a day that all will cry glory to the King of Kings, Christ Jesus the Lord. Listen to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that's Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Where? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, friend, if you are here and you have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and cried glory, I pray today that you would make him savior of your life. Listen, there is a day coming, a day of final judgment. I just read it from Philippians chapter two, where the Lord's voice will no longer be heard like the majestic storm to marvel at. Instead, in that day, 
it will be the voice of the Lamb of God from the throne saying, and I quote, these are not my words. I stand behind the Bible. The voice of the Lamb will be heard saying from his throne to the wicked and to the unbelieving, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And in that day, you will only experience the fury of God's storm for an eternity. Oh, how can you say that, Josh? Ugh. What kind of pastors would we be at Grace Christian Fellowship if we did not warn you of the judgment to come? We're living in the midst of a fire right now. Most of us up north are, effect are affected in some way. Many of you here. What kind of neighbor would you be if you didn't go next door when your friend's house was on fire? and knock on the door and say, come out, be saved. Your house is on fire to rescue them. Now for the Christian, we need not fear God's wrath. Instead, we can enjoy him. We can worship the Lord. There is nothing more satisfying than worshiping the God whom you were created for. Did you know, do you know that your soul was tailor-made to contain the life of God? Worship the Lord because he is powerful. This brings us to our third and final point. Why else should we worship the Lord? Because he is sovereign. He's sovereign. Look with me at verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. David uses two examples to highlight God's sovereignty. That means his complete control over all things. He tells us, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And he sits enthroned as king forever. Sovereign kings sit on their thrones. And seated kings denote absolute control and power over their kingdoms. Note the specific example, though, that David uses of the flood. Some believe this refers to the floodwaters of creation, showing God is sovereign over all creation. However, most commentators believe it refers to Noah's flood. And I'm asserting the same thing this morning. The flood, it was a powerful, cataclysmic, global event that only an omnipotent God could bring about. But there's something more specific here. The flood signifies judgment. And a sovereign king that's holy, our God, expects perfect obedience to his commands and to his laws. And if you know the story of Noah and the flood in Genesis 6 and 7, when God looked down upon the earth he saw only that the heart of man was set to do evil and wicked all the time. Therefore, he relented that he created man and determined to blot out all life on the face of the earth. All of us, all of us have broken God's law, daily if not hourly, who here has loved the Lord their God with all of their strength, mind, heart, and soul at all times? No one. We're all worthy of God's judgment. But the Lord made a way of escape for Noah. He built an ark and he put Noah and his family in it. 
And brothers and sisters, for us, this gives us great hope that though he is a sovereign God, holy, who expects perfect obedience, today, if you believe in Jesus Christ, we have the promise of rescue. God has given us another ark. It's the man, Jesus Christ. And if you put all of your hope and your faith in him and his finished work on the cross, the Bible tells us, of God, you are in Christ. And as a sovereign king seated on his throne, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What great hope this brings us as Christians. Well, how else does his sovereignty bring us hope? Well, it brings us hope because he gives his people strength and peace. Look with me, verse 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the promise for Christians. Strength and peace. My guess is today, most of you, if you're like me, need strength and peace. What kind of strength are we talking about here as new covenant Christians? It's resurrection power. It's the type of power that raised Jesus from the grave. Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. So what do you need strength for this morning? Do you need strength to overcome temptation? Sin that you're in bondage to? Well, because Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin, you can have victory over sin and the power to say no when you're tempted. Do you need strength to forgive those who have wronged you, who have cheated you, who have lied to you, who have abused you, who have victimized you? then receive the strength of Christ who forgave his enemies, the very ones who nailed him to the cross where he cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you need strength to love your spouse more? Well, then receive the strength of Christ who loves you despite your failures and your flaws. Christ, the one who loves his church, the bride, and washes her in the water of his word to make her holy. May the Lord give you strength. Listen, if you do not have enough faith to believe that God can give you this strength, then I would encourage you this week Go home and meditate on verses three through nine and let the powerful voice of the Lord through his word speak and operate in your heart. I promise you'll find strength. Do you need peace? May the Lord bless his people with peace. Though the Lord's voice is represented as a powerful storm, since he is also the calm after the storm. And God the Father, he gave us peace by blessing us with the gift of his son. Most of us know the story. The night Jesus was born as a baby into the earth, the angels were heard in the sky 
ascribing glory to God, the same mighty ones that David started verse 1 in here in our psalm. Listen to Luke describe in chapter 2 this scene. He says, The shepherds of Bethlehem saw and heard the mighty angels saying, Glory to God in the highest. And what next? Peace on earth to men. Money will not buy you peace. Sex, drugs, alcohol, entertainment, binging Netflix all day will not bring you true peace. Relationships, as great as they are, will not bring you true peace. Only a relationship with the God of glory in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ can give you the true peace that you desire. So when the storms of life come your way, and I'm sure there are many, what will you do? What are the storms of your life? Are you a fearful person? Do you suffer from chronic anxiety? Do you worry about a wayward child? or your house not selling, or your house about to burn. Real things here. But listen, the Lord, the Lord can be your peace. He himself can be your peace if you put all of your trust and your faith in him. See, fear and anxiety, they come from the false notion that you are in control. You're not in control. He is in control. And faith in him overcomes fear. So put your hope in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us another story of a storm that involved fear and faith. Luke chapter 8 tells us this story. When Jesus and his disciples were crossing a lake in a sailboat, as Jesus slept, Fully at peace in the bottom, his disciples were terrified as a windstorm brought water into the boat that was about to sink. Listen, Luke says, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm and he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that commands even winds and water and they obey him? It's the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ who has absolute control over this creation and who is seated as king forever. Jesus is coming back. As we sang about this morning, he is the king of kings he is the Lord of lords. And listen, he will return one day. And when he returns, he will be like a powerful storm. He will return to execute judgment on his enemies. But for the Christian, we have hope to know his return means a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more sin, no more pain, and no more, no more tears. And there we will worship him for all eternity. We will worship him because he is worthy. We will worship him because he is powerful. And we will worship him because he is sovereign and in complete control. So let me leave you with this final thought. Are your daily prayers filled with generally only requests to God and cries for help? If so, that's okay. That's okay. But consider 
consider having a prayer life that's mixed in with something like Psalm 29 that is pure praise, pure praise and worship. Spend time worshiping the Lord in prayer. Spend time attributing glory and strength to him. Spend time worshiping him in the splendor of holiness. Spend time thanking him that you are hidden in Christ, that he is sovereign on his throne, and that you are sheltered from the storm of judgment and the storms of this life. Give him the glory that his name is due and due alone. And as you worship, watch and see the Lord give you strength and peace to live the Christian life. And I don't mean just live kind of like, ugh, irking it out one more day. No, I mean to live life to its fullest, a life filled with joy and peace and contentment. Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ. And Jesus said, I have come that they, that is us, brothers and sisters, come that they may have life and life abundantly.